What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. We are joined today by Andrew Berry, and today we are doing our tribute to John Meadows. I'm excited to do this, and it was something we wanted, uh, I, I wanted a little bit of time for. I thought, you know, initially the first thought would be like, you know, to talk about how much we care about John and, uh, you know, how much John will be missed. And now that we've had a little time to kind of work through some of that stuff, and we've talked about it through some of the various programs and individually on our own through our social media and everything else, uh, my thought was, why don't we why don't we do a podcast that John would love? And I know that the uh, last year Scott and I had John on. We did a podcast that I titled uh, "Principles of Mountain Dog Training," and I remember after we were done. Uh, he said, man, I freaking loved this. He was like, I'm feeling so pumped right now. Like I want to go train. And I thought to myself, why don't we do a podcast that John would freaking love to be on? So today we are going to talk about things we learned from John Meadows, especially related to training. Uh, Scott, I know you've got some figures here. Uh, I should mention too, for people who are not as familiar with us, uh, Scott Stevenson in the middle uh, is the co-author of The Brutality of Mountain Dog Training, John's book. So I felt like uh, if there was anybody who would have some some good thoughts to say, it, it would be Scott. And then of course, Andrew has worked closely with, with John being both uh, a mountain dog approved coach and having been coached by John for years now and being friends with John as well. Uh, I, I haven't had the same relationship as you guys have to John. In fact, John's somebody that I always kind of held in a little bit of a pedestal and having to have him, getting to have him on the programs has had always been a huge honor to me. Like he had always been one of my favorite guests and uh, he had meant so much to me in my training. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to dig into this and to do a podcast that I know that he would love to be on. Scott, yeah, where do we take this, man? How do we dig uh, in? Well, it was interesting. Maybe we, Go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say maybe we all start with a training story of, uh, or maybe me and Scott tell a training story of, me, you know, a particular workout or something with John. I'd love to hear that. All right, that, you sound like you have one in mind. Uh, I mean, I've gone over this one before, but um, it's I flew out to, to train with John for a week, uh, like in two thousand. It's either 16 or 17. I can't remember. He was, you know, it was 2016 because he was like four or five weeks out from the uh, Arnold. And he had told me, or as soon as I got through the door, his wife, Mary, was like, so everybody in the house was sick this week, last week, including John. We're going to give you the option. Like, we'll get your hotel down the street or you can stay here. We sanitized everything. And I'm like, I want to spend time with John and the family. Like, I'll stay here. I don't care if I get sick. So, you know. We go to we go to the gym and like everything's fine. And then towards evening, we're having uh, his diet back then was uh, he was eating a lot of white fish, a little bit of rice and, and black beans. So he made me a plate of that. And this is like our fourth or fifth meal of the day. And I get through half of it and I'm like, man, I'm just not hungry. And John was like a little weirded out because he's like, you eat a lot of food. Like what's going on here? I'm like, I'm just going to wrap it up and I'll eat it in a little while. Well, I didn't eat the rest of the night. What I did do was I woke up around two or three in the morning and I puked my guts out. Aww. And I'm like, but in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm not sick. I'm just excited to train tomorrow because we have legs on deck. <laughs> right. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll hydrate and I'll get a Gatorade in me and, and I'll go back to bed. 
So I went back to sleep, and I think I woke up again at like 5 a.m., and I puked again. And I'm like, man, I'm really excited to trade legs today. This <laughs> must is crazy. Be real pumped. This is going to be yeah. good. So at Long least if head. I get it out now, I'm, yeah, at least if I get it out now, I'm not going to puke during the training session. So <laughs> anyway, we get up, and I'm able to eat a little pre-workout bowl, and I feel okay. But the minute we get to the gym, and this was at Lifetime Fitness, which is like more of a corporate fitness center versus a hardcore gym, yeah. I'm like, John, i got to run to the bathroom. So I ran to the bathroom, and of course I puked up that whole first meal. Oh. But I'm still in my head. I'm like, or at this point, and I was dripping sweat. And I'm like, okay, I'm sick, but I think I can make it through this workout. I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. When I when I tell you that we can, I told John, I was like, like I'm feeling sick, but don't hold back. Let's do this. And when I tell you that I literally puked probably 12 times during that workout, like I puked oh my, 12 times. Oh my god! I would god. do a set of the leg press. Go over to the trash cans in the middle of the whole gym and just like, like, and I had nothing left that was, you know, I was trying to drink intra to try to get it back in me. And I'm getting like hypoglycemic because we were doing some crazy stuff. We did like a, I think a 40 rep leg press drop set. And nice. then we did like a club. Yeah, we did a cluster set with, um, where we went right from leg extensions right into, uh, we did, did a cluster set on leg, leg extensions and then finished it off with as many steps as you could take lunging around the gym without any weight. And then like, I just laid down and I was like out. And as soon as we got home, John's like, you want some, you want me to try to get you some food? And I'm like, no, I just went up to the room and I slept for like six hours I bet. <laughs> because I was, because in my mind I was like, I need to recover and sleep so I can go back and train back with him tomorrow. And, uh, <laughs> right. and, and we did, and again, I did do that. And on, on the plane ride home, like maybe three days later, I was still like really sick. I was like on the plane dripping sweat. I looked like a drug addict. And the lady sitting next to me calls over the flight attendant and she's like, um, this, this guy right here, like, can you move me? I hear her saying that. And the lady, the flight attendant moved her out of my seat because I, I was just sitting there like drip, drip, drip. And I was so empty at that point. I had nothing left to throw up because I had eaten oh. like two days at that point. <laughs> But that was uh, that was that was one of my favorite times training with him, even though it was as you know drastic as it was. Because also at the end of the trip, he's like, you know, he's like, I would have pulled out. Like if I if I had the flu, I'm not training. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so right. I gotta give you some respect for, for hanging in there yeah. with me and, and helping push. Because he was like, you were pushing me still. I'm three four weeks out from the Arnold, so I, right. I really enjoyed that experience personally. So that's you, my. You story. know what's what's crazy is I mean like this is, I'm going to throw some physiology because John. When you got a fever, like your set point changes, so you shouldn't be sweating unless the fever's breaking. That's what happens when the fever breaks; is your body's getting better, and now your set point you're still hot, but you sweat because your set points come down, and now you have the sweating happening. The, I think you were sweating because you were so fucked up from all the training that your epoch was massive, and you just had your body was just like what the fuck? Because you normally wouldn't I, be sweating like that, you know. My body was definitely like, what in the fuck are you doing to it? Like the muscles yeah. felt like, uh, like <laughs> in between sets, it was like I was numb. I and bet. then mm. I was still strong though. I was still like able to just churn out. Like I think we started a drop set with like 13 plates on the leg press and did like, you know, eight and then he pull a plate and I'd get four more and he pull a plate and get three more. And so we just did one of those like long drop sets until basically you can't move the bar or the, the, the rack anymore. And like, yeah. but you're right. Like my body was just like, what are you doing to me, man? <laughs> John had a nice way, and you can hear it in his videos, and everyone who's trained with him, like the way he encourages you was, it was like forceful, but it was also like, I'm with you, you know, it was just the energy of the way that he talked to you during the set was so encouraging in just the right manner, he knew how to kind of coax you along, 
to get you to do shit, you know, that most people would never even think about doing. Because you know he's got you. Like he's not like trying to be an asshole. Yeah. He loves you. That's why he wants you to work hard, and that's why he's telling you to go. All at that's once. That's hundred percent spot on. That's hundred percent spot. He's like, I'm with you now. Like, all right, let's go. Give me three more. Yeah. I'm with you. I got you. I got you. Three more. Two more. One yeah. more. Okay, deep breaths. Okay, now let's do another three more. You got this. I'm with you. I got you. I got the bar. Let's go. And he's yeah. there right yeah. with you. You're you're hundred percent right. It's almost like he's a little guy on your shoulder. That's just like clicking the things in your brain. Like you can do three more. You thought you were going to fail, but no, you can do three more. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's not like a punishment where he's making you do it because he's trying to be mean. It's an encouragement. I I get that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You can hear if you play the videos, you know, of of, not just with us training, but like everyone, you can, you can sense that he's right along because he's been there a million one times, you know, he he knows what that set feels like because he's done them. He probably just did it just before you, you know, to show you how he's, how he wants you to have it done. So yeah, he's right there. I'm trying to think like all these like training, you know, uh, sessions with John over the years coming through. I remember I was running through the book where you you have some, um, clips from some screenshots from, and I clicked, I forgot we put in the PhD versus meathead video, that was, I think it was the same weekend that we, that the horse balls video came from. Okay. So we trained with Dave at the original Elite FDS. And that's the, uh, I don't remember if I told, did I tell the horse balls st- a story? I would love to hear it again. I would, if yeah. you have, it's been well, a little while. Well, it's, it's, it's in the again. tribute video that I, that I did. And there was the, that was the, the same, I think that was the same workout. I'm gonna, maybe it was the same weekend because we did, there's so many that kind of blend together. And Dave was kind of running us through the ringer. Um, and he, Dave had us doing, like, we started off with these, like, fucking, like, two-minute long, like, hamstring bridge things that he came up with. Like, he's like, I want you guys to try this. So it's like a pre-pump hamstring exercise. And then that was the weekend when the, the splits, Romanian split squad of death came into existence. Um, okay. was that very weekend. That was, you know, part of Dave and John's, you know, uh, um, invention love child love child yeah. of the mind yeah <laughs> like there's a there's a picture somewhere because i i did that before, i think i did that i think i might have gone before john like i did that that same weekend with him but but there's just a picture of me with shrek with his arms around the the squad rack yeah i set shrek up there yeah. for encouragement for us so um but when john got done with that first warm-up set with dave and after the whole workout because a lot of it was hamstring oriented that literally john's hamstring because this his legs, they, they look like they rivaled Tom Platz's back in his heyday. They were just crazy. And afterwards, we're getting interviewed. And we're talking about what happened. And that's when in the clip people can find in that tribute video. You just go to YouTube and click in John Meadows' horse balls. Dave's trying to explain what we're doing in the workout. And how, like, the only thing he'd come up with to kind of describe what John's hamstring looked like when he was, you know, sitting into a side leg shot was, like, just a big pair of horse balls just hanging right there, <laughs> you know? So like fast forward when I, this was like, this was probably when I was in Arizona, I think when that happened. So I, I come to Florida and I was looking around for gyms here in Tampa and I had an LA fitness membership, which I thought was nationwide, which apparently wasn't. I used it many times. No one called me on it. And I go into an LA fitness here to try it out. And there's some good ones and some bad ones. You never know. And I got called called on it at the desk. It's like, you can't train here. This isn't a Florida LA fitness membership. I'm like, and I really did. I honestly didn't know that. I thought it was because everyone just let me in the door. But this was a young woman who's, I think it was her first week on the job. So she's being a stickler about things. And uh, 
uh, the membership manager comes over and uh, walks over to see what's going on to figure out, you know, what to do with me. And uh, he's like, I'll, I'll take care of you. And he calls me over to the, the desk where they usually sign people up for personal training and things. And he sits down and he's like, he's looking at his computer and he's like, your name's like, okay. He's like, I, I, don't worry, I know your name. Horsebald. I just watched you on YouTube. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit. So John got me in. I got a free training, you know, yes. session at LA Fitness that day because the guy knew who I was from the Horseballs video. So That's awesome. that was good clickbait right there. That's as good as it gets. That's excellent. That's cool. Yeah. I found that picture yeah. too. Here's that, uh, that shot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. That's yeah. a great shot. Yeah. That was, that was just, yeah, that was crazy. That was so much fun. That, that is cool, um, man. How, how about yeah. the first time? Because that was the first time you did that, right, Scott? That was the, 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 the Smith the, the, the squat death set. Yeah, it's the first time anyone did oh. it. Like we came up with it. So yeah, that, yeah. So that was the first time you did this, the, the drop set of death, right? How right. about like the first time you got done doing that? You're like, oh, I need to start doing these like every single week. Like you knew exactly where it hits you <laughs> on the high part of the hamstring and yeah. a little bit in the glute, mm. and like, like. When I, when I show people how to do it, like, the first time, they're like, wait, so you're just going to do one leg, and then and you're not going to go alternate? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we're, you're going to need, like, five minutes after you get done that first leg, and you're going to want right. to watch me do it. Because, like, you're going to be, like, taking – you're going to be walking away, but you're going to be walking in circles because that left leg that you just did isn't going to move. Like, you're just going to be going around <laughs> like a merry-go-round. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We – John had those in the program that – I, I don't know if – I think it came out now that he had – Derek Oslandu that I tagged along with. Yeah. And so we did those at the beginning of that program. And one of the times we decided because because of that, like we want to just get it all done, we alternated. I think which yep. may have been an option, maybe it wasn't. And it was like a How'd fifteen minute set. Yeah, we just left, right, left, right, back and forth. Which of course made it harder in a sense because yeah. you're a little you're a little refreshed and you can get more reps and you can hold longer. So you got you're not fatiguing as quickly, and yeah, it took fucking forever. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's, and the oxygen, the yeah. oxygen deprivation at that point, you must just be. Like, <gasps> it was yeah, it was ridiculous. It was just you know pitiful. Um, <laughs> we we actually took that same strategy, and I told John about this, and, and he loved the idea. I think we talked about it on the phone. It's because my I had this problem with my leg that I'm still kind of figuring out. So the unilateral stuff doesn't work. But I figured out how I could do bilateral stuff, and we were doing a lot of hack squats. So we took that same strategy and just applied it to a bilateral, where same. you know we did yeah did the hold at the end, and that was like a you know only like a six minute set, but continuous with people <laughs> pulling the weight from you. So there's like nothing in between, and yeah. that's just a beautiful you know just it's just yeah, like basically. It's the it's the mentality of those challenge sets, which mm -hmm. is so which is just like, uh, it's like getting on a roller coaster, man. It was like fuck it, we're just gonna do the hardest, most asinine, ridiculous thing we can, but it's gonna be thought out. You know, we're trying to hit something intentionally, yeah. but it's like we just let let the, taking the governor off and just fucking going for it. And that was I just think so the lesson. I, I think the lesson there is that just at the end of the day, hard work above any type of you know intelligent programming it's just hard work like because those sets are just straight like mind over mm. matter because your legs after you get done the second round or third round like you want to be done and you need someone yeah. in your ear be like come on let's go fourth round fifth round let's do this you know yeah. so i do think that it just comes down to like the old school you know hard work's gonna 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 do it all for you mm. you know if you just bite down and do it i like that yeah 
and and being like when John was there, you know how much he loved to train, so it just made you want to train more, and because it was just it was just fun with him, no matter what. And I remember um, in that it's what kind of got us going on on being an elite FTS with Dave and John was having because John's low back was not happy with him after all the training, so like he always had to fly first class, not because he just wanted to be a VIP, but like just because he needed the good chairs so he could move around with his back. And that day was not a good day for his back, so he didn't do that um, challenge set on the uh, on the we could kind of a rack. It was pulling off a block with chains, and uh, but John was there, like you know, and he was watching like Dave and actually in some everyone else bowed out except for me and Dave actually by that time, <laughs> just the two of us. I froze. Do you guys still see me? We can see you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We see you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you guys froze too. Um, so we're, we're we're loading this up and and Dave's running the show here because Dave picked the exercise I think, and so I'm just this you know I'm I'm like the outside party I'm like I'm just like going along for the ride but having a lot of fun with it doing whatever, so Dave threw some plates on there and he's just warming up to like something that seems asinine you know so he just keeps <laughs> on putting chains on and putting chains on and putting chains on and we're warming up warming up and it's just going to be like as many reps as you can get like challenge set just keep going until there's absolutely nothing left or until you start to break form. And I remember, um, I remember, remember exactly how the exchange went. Um, uh, and uh, I think Dave was, was like sitting on the bench. You know, he had his hoodie on. He's getting into his mindset. You know, and you, you've trained with Dave before, like Andrew. When no, unfortunately, I have not. Okay. No, that was we were going to go out to the uh, uh, the new complex one time, but it just didn't work out schedule wise for John. But okay. anyway, yeah, he's he gets dark. You know, oh, I've seen it. I've seen videos. that in the videos too. Yeah, yeah. like and I, I, I like to go there too. Sometimes it's, it depends on the day. I can be Ronnie Coleman esque and like, yeah, buddy, have fun. And then there are yeah. times when it's like, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to destroy all the dark matter in the universe and make it mine. You know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of shit. And this was one of those. Dave was going there, and we were, and like, it was we were building up for this. It was like literally the last two standing. That's why. That's why he titled the video "PC versus Death." But it was still fun. It was like it was, we're. we're we're two brothers in arms. It wasn't like we we're really trying to like kill each other, but we were at the same time because that's what we wanted to do. And I remember like Dave sitting there on the bench, and we're getting ready. Now we got to the weight we're going to use, and um, and uh, Dave says something like, "He's like, um, uh, I'm going to hell on this." And I think I just turned to him like without skipping a beat because I was in the same spot. I said. I look forward to seeing their seeing their brother. <laughs> you know, and we did. We just, like we just went off, and it was so much mm -hmm. fucking fun to do that. It was just such a blast. I like that. So yeah, so that's how it was. You know, with 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 Dave, of course. You know, e even though you know he was going to the dark dark places, he was like I remember there was a time when I was running one of um a guy that I think had been one of Dave's trainees. He was a powerlifter. He was at one of the um learn to train seminars that running through muscle rounds and Dave was could be you know get really like you know show me what you're made of but he always is there as he's just the penultimate educator at the same time hmm. and because he wanted the best for you which you know is why John and he got along so well because they had that so much in common so is the energy of those two guys was together was really really cool and I can um, imagine I got a question yeah. I have a question so uh, obviously, I think that most of the people who follow Think Big are very familiar with John, and they're very familiar, <clears throat> excuse me, with Mountain Dog training. But 
if you had to describe what mountain dog training is, and I, I'm, I'd be interested to hear either of your answers. What is mountain dog training? I would say it's an intelligently thought out, um, layered program. And I'm not just talking about an individual workout. I'm talking about the extent of whether it's an eight week, a 10 week or a 16 week program, you know, because I'll, I'll give you an example. People will like write to me, they'll be like, uh, so week four, there's only like four exercises and like I'm doing a total of, you know, nine sets of whatever program. I'm like, Buckle your seatbelt up. Just wait. Like, there's a reason for this. There, there, there's a built-in deload into the program because at the end, did you look at the back workout at the end of the week? Like, you're basically mm. doing two hard back workouts this week, so your your pump day is going to be a little easier for the next four weeks. That kind of thing. And that's what I mean by intelligently thought out because, you know, John, I think understood more than anybody that you know we have a certain amount of recoverability based off of our nutritional status, our age, our PED usage, and like if you worked with them one on one you would get a lot more of that you know the programming is great but if you work with them one-on-one okay you're you're at this point in your cruise period now okay maybe we should drop your volume down a little bit and we'll just do four training days this week instead of five you know because you're not getting the same uh, muscle protein synthesis from the lack of you know lower peds that kind of thing yeah. or if you had a particularly stressful period of time like you're traveling for work left and right you know okay let's try to get three good sessions in so there was intelligent uh, thought uh, going into the programming versus just you know pound in the program you need to follow the five days a week or six days a week programming as it's written and then looking at the individual workout i think the layering of the workout in terms of like you know the pre-pump activation phase you know the the high threshold motor unit stuff um the uh, super maximal pump and then the stretching that just like clicked for me when he explained it to me one day it's like oh like yeah you do want to pre-activate make sure your muscles are healthy to do what you want to do today sure And, 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 and i think if you explain this to people that haven't done it they're like Oh, so you're just doing like really light stuff, three sets of 10 or something like that. And I'm like, oh, no, it's still going to be a very hard exercise. Like you're going to go as heavy as you can on, say, a dumbbell press or, you know, a hamstring curl. You're just not going to jump into a squat fresh out of the into the gym or Hmm. a barbell bench press first into the gym. Like you, you traditionally see a lot of people do, you know, there's a component built in there for safety to make sure that the muscles and the surrounding tissue are warmed up, making sure that your nervous system is activated. And then you'll move on to a more traditional, I guess, you know, starter exercise like a barbell press or an incline barbell press. And then you move on to the super maximal pump stuff where that that, that was always my favorite part of the uh, routines is like usually the third exercise in when some of those crazy exercises that Scott just referred to, like with the, uh, the Bulgarian split squats or the, you know, fitting in a, a drop set of death on the hack squat or the leg press, you know, that's where that kind of stuff comes in. And so if someone looks at the paper and they're like, Oh, there's only like four to seven working sets here. Like this seems too easy. It's like, just buckle your seatbelt up, follow right. the program as it's written and you're going to have a good time. I love that. Yeah. It's in, I was trying to like encapsulate sort of intelligent, well thought out, brutal insanity kind of all wrapped up into one because the, the the nature of the beast is that you're doing something that's you're trying to create something you've never created before that's what weight training and bodybuilding is all about you're trying to build a beast trying to build a monster so you know you can't like if you're, you can't you know piece together a monster a frankenstein you know supersede what your body wants to do by just gently coaxing it hmm, yeah um but you got to be smart about how you do it too and that's what John kind of figured out. And it was, you know, it's funny because uh, I remember th- like first 
first before I even knew John, I remember like seeing some of the things like back on the Teen Nation side, I think, and uh, some of it like this was like so I'm like how oh, some of this is this just sort sort of weeder, you know, principle sort of recapitulated. It's like it's like. It's like nah, it's because it, there's there's some rhyme and reason to that. Like we, it's, weeder always gets like it's weeder principle, like whatever. Like the the one that always gets so much shit is the muscle confusion principle, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And and like the, how many articles you could probably Google? I haven't done this, but if you Google like you know muscle confusion principle, everyone's like picking on that. It's like yeah. that's just bullshit. And it's like yeah. no, that's the that's variety in training. That's a basic training principle. You know, yeah. and there's actually one of the figures that um, is in. Actually, let me see which one it was, so you know what. It's a table with check marks in it, Scott. Okay, I'm I thought we could yep, be able to use it. these. Cool, yeah. Yeah, Scott's always got his charts on hand, his graphs. Yeah, this was this was one. I think this was something I wanted to throw in there just because it made sense to me. So this is these are some of the intensification techniques that John uses, and there's more now, like cluster set. This is from the Brutality of Mountain Dog Training book, for those who are wondering, which we're going to try to um, put out maybe in a hardcover at some point down, down the road here. I'd love that. But, yeah, so those are the across the top or the, the different principles or different ways in which uh, weight training turns on an- anabolism and produces muscle growth. So mechanical tension, metabolic stress, muscle damage, and then activation pattern is one that um, sort of I like to always throw in there. And so – Back to, you know, what John was figuring out, which seems like it was, you know, on the surface, if you don't look into things, he's just always just, you know, rehashing some of these weeder training principles. It's it's like, no, activation pattern is important too. That's what, you know, Mm -hmm. picking something you've never done before. That's like, you know, finding an exercise you haven't done before, doing it in a different way. And, and John and I, when we went through this whole, whole um, table together, to sort of weight these things. Remember, like we had a phone conversation about this so that rightmost column is activation pattern. Activation pattern, you get a different activation pattern when you do an exercise you haven't done for a long time because mm-hmm. it, it's novel. That's why, and I, I use the same example all the time, you take someone who's doing like regular deadlifts and they do that for months on end and finally they kind of plateau and they decide to swap that out in their exercise rotation for banded or chains or deficit deads or rack deads. And they do the same number of sets or same number of reps with the, with the same effort level, and they get sore as shit. So, no, it's too small for almost for me to read. Oh, okay. I didn't know you were re- um, actually reading off of it. No, it's okay. Right, oh, cool. I want to be able to yeah, it, blow it back up. We're good. Um, I didn't want to cover so, up our faces for too long. Yeah, right. You can cover mine up. Uh, <laughs> so the activation pattern is what's different there. It's a different exercise. It feels different. There's got to be a different activation pattern. And that then is a novelty, and you see that in the muscle soreness that you get. And you know, we were when we were you know figuring out how to like make sense of this. John brought me in to help you know put together the book yeah. to kind of be the sciencey guy to lend some science to what he'd figured out. You know, without having to glean it from the scientific literature, he figured it out in the trenches and the science. And so you take you know this oh it's a muscle confusion principle bullshit. It's like no, it's activation pattern. This changes. Uh, the activate changes the it changes the way in which the motor units are activated. Hmm. Potentially, one of the things that causes muscle soreness, which you see in that example of deadlifts I gave, and when you look at the different intensification techniques, those are weighing in differentially in terms of that particular mechanism whereby you can turn on and create a novel stimulus for muscle growth. Hmm. 
So John has thought all this kind of stuff through, and that's when you see that in the and this is the artistry of what he was doing with mountain dog training, and and you don't realize this if you just look at the individual workouts and just try to count sets and reps, is that when he's changing those uh, those um, intensification techniques week by week in the programs that he did and then wrote out and then produced, he was doing that in an auto regulatory fashion, knowing what had been do, had been previously because he'd done it. And like this is the, and he knew like this is the intensification technique or not to do for this muscle because this is what had gone through. He wasn't just sort of like hashing this. He didn't like write those out on paper, never having done those programs. He did them, and like so. This this is a, like a sciencey way to break down what John was intuiting and sensing is like you know today is the day to do partials or the day today is to do you know uh, a superset or maybe not whatever it might be and these were the ways in which those things actually were working hmm. from a scientific perspective. But John knew that, you know, from his empirical perspective of the guy in the trenches, you know, turning himself into a monster like, like he did with him mm -hmm. with so many other people. So, um, yeah, so that was sort of a first impression of bound dog training, but that's the well thought out part of it. Uh, that, that was really kind of cool. It's sort of like, um, and this is why he wanted because like and this is what this is really kind of was such an honor that he said, "Hey Scott, can you help me write this book?" Because he's like, "I know from the conversations we have, I know you're going to be able to like see the stuff that I'm doing and make it sound really smart." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, "Okay, well, I can do that." To like, that, to that like point, this. to that point, I want to add in because like John's a really smart guy, but. He was always so smart to know who are the other smart people in the room who mm. can explain something better than I can. I love Whether that. Whether it's yeah. a nutritional or a hormonal thing or a training thing and the adaptations, the intensity techniques. Because, like, we can say, oh, let's just do something crazy. We'll do drop sets and iso holds. And uh, the average person just doesn't really think scientifically about what's going on in terms of the mechanical tension, the metabolic stress, et cetera. But I think when you guys put out that book, it really did open up some eyes like, oh, there, there is a lot of complex thought in how he's layering this stuff. And I thought that the, of bringing you in was like the best thing he could have done. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to do, man. It was really cool mm. to put that together. That makes sense. Yeah. Scott, what did you, what, what would you say is something that you learned from training with John? And that might be tougher for you because you've, you know, obviously had had a, a ton of your own experience before you guys had met and you had a ton of experience with DC training uh meeting him and I, and I know it's kind of tough to put you on the spot here with that but can you think of anything that you can say hey i i hadn't thought of that uh before you guys had met and and began working together in the gym like i'm trying to like think of something kind of the thing that was fun about john and i was like we were like um a lot of times we'd have conversations and we'd be like thinking the same thing at the same time, you yeah, know? So yeah. we'd be like kind of jinx ourselves a lot on things. But, uh, I think, I think one of the things that it's been resonating since we talked, you, you mentioned doing this and especially this morning is that, that John helped me recognize how important, even more so than I ever had before, how auto regulating is important and how recognizing like, mm. like when it's a day to go, yeah. Like when you got it in the tank and you want to like go after it, then do it. And when it's, it's not the day to do whatever exercise or what have you to pull away from that. That's huge. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it's gigantic. 
Um, because that, that's the thing that, you know, that is, it's built into his program because he ran through and did those things. So he would pull back on some of those days. I remember, I remember like training with Derek in the, you know, this, this earlier this year. And we're like, you know, he was building up during part of the program and, 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 uh, and I'd always kind of look forward and he's like, we're not going to keep this up. I'm like, oh, don't worry. John, John, John knows what's up, you know, we'll bring it back. And then a couple of those days, it's like, you know, Hey, what's like, what's going on? Like this isn't, you know, as tough as it should be. Um, but it's like, it's like, no, we need this because yeah. there's something crazy coming. And he's going <laughs> to kick our ass next week. So that was him, you know, auto-regulating and pulling things back in a way that just, it just totally makes sense. Huh. Um, that's the smart, you know, push forward. Um, even, even in that I, I clicked on, cause I forgot it was in the book. I clicked on that PhD versus meathead set. And I remember I got to that very last rep and I could see, I was going to keep on going and I could see my back was starting to go the wrong direction. And John, like immediately he's like, he was like, okay, you're done. You're good. Like he was all, all like right up to the wall. It's like, like, stop. Like he pulled the switch right off the bat yeah. when it was time. And that's what he was really, really good at is trusting in that intuition um that you have to have huh. uh you know to train you know safely and to train productively and and that really you know the thing is is that there's so many instances where um you know you see people who like train themselves like right up into kind of a, what what science would call a functional overreaching period and they pull back on their diet and they eat some more so like one of the things John would say, like where we had this conversation, he's probably you may, probably did this many times. Andrew is, um, you know, your weight drops, like you get a big drop in your body weight. He just like go to Five Guys and you know, have two burgers, something yeah. like that. I know that was one of his, his yeah. strategies, you know. And yeah. it's like, what are you talking about? It's like, but he'd done that so many times himself with so many people. It's like that's okay. Like you don't have to like constantly like beat yourself into the ground. Got to be smart about this. So walking that line of, of brutality and craziness, but at the same time keeping your wits about you in terms of how the training progression is happening, in terms about how the, the diet is happening, you know, the refeeds are happening, um, simultaneously is a, is a crazy juggling act that John was really good at. And it's about trusting yourself to some degree. And so John, John was a, really, was a really nice mirror, so to speak, and a sounding board and an example of how smart that really is hmm. to take that, you know, it's sort of like um, keep on having like this image of, of welding together the monster, you know, and you've got like this, this torch or this, you know, welding device that's, you know, 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, and you could just melt through it's, it's, you know, you could just cut through the metal if you wanted to, but that's not the point. The point is to schmied these things together, to weld these things together in the right way. And you've got this ultimate power of, you know, you could drive yourself into the ground, but you have to wield that appropriately and use it at the right time in your training at the right time with the right exercises yeah. and use that drive to push yourself dietarily, let's say, or with cardio if you're doing that to get yourself to that crazy lean conditioning, but not lose muscle just, you know, because you just push yourself beyond where you need to go. Constantly, so that balancing yeah. act was, was something so... The cool thing about it, especially for people who worked with, with John or who listen to a lot of John's videos, and I think that's if you, you can just if you can just hear him in your voice in your head, hear his voice in your head, um, 
it's a good, it's almost, it's, it's a, you, he's a coach there in a, in a sense. Like, what would John say? Like, I think I said that in my tribute video. Like, you know, what would JM do? It would be a great t-shirt to have. You know, like literally when you're in the depths of a pre-contest period, it's like, what would JM do? And he might go have some five guys, you know? <laughs> um, and if you can just hear what he would say, like, that's a really wise voice to listen to, I think. Hmm. So kind of the thing, I guess, to answer your question is that um, John helped me realize that there's a wisdom that I can tap into in my own head yeah. you know, that I should pay attention to. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I feel like um, one of the things, there was a lot of things that when I started learning about in mountain dog training that resonated with me, uh, things that I was, that, that already had made sense. And you know what I got from him initially was I got hope that I could continue training hard even with uh, limitations. Like my, my lower back had been really messy for a while, but I learned that that didn't mean that I, that I had to, that I had to like, it didn't mean I couldn't still grow, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that he had always done that I had, I think is really great is the, the creativity that he would have in the gym with his exercises and the way he thought, you know, when you just look at a, a, a plan written on paper and it says, you know, hamstring curls, three sets, uh, extension, leg extensions, three sets, uh, whatever squats or whatever, you know, three sets and, and leg press three sets. It's like that, it's pretty, you know, it doesn't really say much, but it, there's, there's an art to how we carry our sets out. And mm-hmm. I think that he put a lot of passion and heart into the, 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 the way that he trained. And that's what I think I, I, really picked up from him was having that freedom to be creative and play with your exercises uh and and into to think to think about like you know what am i trying to achieve with this you know it, 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 that was that was an early thing i think just reading his stuff like before i even had met him uh just reading his stuff through message boards uh years like 2009 maybe back then before he was really, you know, developed the popularity he has today. And then it evolved too, because part of me reading that stuff off of message boards was like the way that I interpreted it, you know what I mean? Versus necessarily right. the way that he meant it. But yeah, that that was that was a big aspect for me is the, the recognizing that you can work around things, that you can be creative. Uh, that, that made a difference for me. There's a quote in the Mountain Dog that, I just want to throw this in because you reminded me of it um, from Mark Dugdale, who John worked with for a long while. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, we put it in the book because it was just really pretty cool. This is Mountain Dog Training. This is from Mark Doug, Dugdale, IFBB professional bodybuilder. Mountain Dog Training revolutionized my training and breathed new life into my bodybuilding career. After 20 years of competitive bodybuilding, I've tried countless training methods with varying degrees of success, but nothing returned sustained improvements without injuries compared to John's. At 38, I'm training harder longer and more enthusiasm than mm. I did in my 20s. Brutal, intense, masochistically fun, results-oriented workouts define my personal experience working with John Meadows. Mm. So, and that was totally true. I remember when all that was going down, you know, uh, because he, he had done, you know, he was like he was accumulating injuries. Yeah. And Dugdale had such a cool physique, man. He had a great, yeah. and he still does. He's still training, yeah. But, uh, and he was like, what, what the hell am I going to, he just kept on injuring. I think he just kept on like doing heavy squats and just, he was getting injuries like every three or four months. And finally he found John and 
And then he, I think he had his best contest placings. I think he did too. That. He did. Yeah. Wasn't didn't uh, Mark even John developed a program for him to train twice a day for one of his preps? Do you remember that? I think so. Yeah. Like he had an yeah. AM. So Mark, I don't think had to do any cardio that prep. He was doing like right. an AM training session, a PM training session, and I think it was like you know, like back in the morning and then like maybe biceps or arms at night and then legs the next mm-hmm. morning and a push day of some sort at night. I remember seeing that program and being like, wow, like this is, this is really interesting and well thought out. Like you could tell John got out the chalkboard or whatever and really mm-hmm. laid out like every single week for him in detail. Uh, that yeah. one really impressed me. And we have Mark had a works in the food or worked in the food industry. So he's like a really working like 12 hour days type of thing. You on know, his feet. So I think that was maybe was part of, I'm guessing part of it, just thinking how, you know, what John might have been doing. It'd be interesting to, you know, go back. There's probably an article on Elite FTS somewhere on this, you know, if we dug in. Yeah. And it's like, what? how, how much time does he have? If he was doing old school training where he's, you know, two hours of cardio a day plus a 12 hour day, and then he had his, I think he's maybe got four girls. He had at least three three daughters, and maybe he's got four now um, with Christina, was his is his wife's name. And uh, it's like, you know, when's he sleeping? And I'll put all that yeah. together and like you're, it's a recipe for, for overtraining injuries. Sure. You know, or yeah. little niggles adding up over time. So John's like, okay, we got to figure out how to get the training in. And with all the time he spent on there's no need for cardio. So yeah, he, he, he fit that around, which is, you know, that'd be an interesting one. That's, that's um, I have a version of my fortitude training called the family man plan. That's a family man plan right there, you know, that a lot yeah. of guys need, you know, a lot of competitive bodybuilders needs so hopefully did that come out as one of his his training plans a formal one do you know uh, i don't think it did but you know what we can look through the archives and see i can talk to chris and see what we have um or rj and see if we have some of that stuff that would be a really good uh, thing to put up on the website and maybe if we could get mark involved in it maybe do a quick interview of some sort that might be pretty interesting that'd be awesome yeah it would be such a good guy yeah, yeah. How about you, Andrew? I know that there's a lot, uh, but if you were to say what is something, you know, real valuable that you learned about training from John? Well, first I would say that I think uh, Scott McNally, you were kind of echoing what Scott was saying about John being in your ear because the way he writes his programming out, it wasn't just three sets of 10 on a hamstring curl yeah. and drop set at the end or four sets of eight on the ha- on the leg press and you know whatever. Like, there was a description after every single exercise telling you exactly how he wanted it done. So you could visualize it as if he was there coaching you up on how to do the exercise. So I think that's kind of a lot where a lot of the, you know, John's your coach in your ear and, and kind of like coaxing you into what to do and how to do it. Um, but I'll, I'll go with um, just more of a simple thing of how to train specific body parts if you're not getting growth out of them. And hmm. for example, like like my rear delts, th- this is my first interaction with John, like in 2012, when I sent him an email, and what blew my mind is that he emailed me back the same day. As busy as the guy was, I mean, imagine how busy you guys are with like, you know, you got your own training clients and all the podcasts and all the other stuff you do. Someone said, shoot you a DM, you wanna get back to him, but it might not be your first priority, right? Right, I'm amazed. Yeah, it can be tough, you know, because I deal with that, too. And it's like, you know, it's usually at the end of the night when I'm getting ready to, you know, relax and watch TV or whatever. That's when I pull out the phone and be like, OK, who's not a client that sent me a question? If I got a minute, I'll get back to him. But he got back to me within like three hours. And my question simply was, I'm like something like, hey, so, you know, my rear doubts, I feel like just are not there. 
And, you know, this is kind of what I've been doing. I've tried doing them two days a week. I've tried training them three days a week. And John was like, okay, what's your rep scheme? And, and, and how are you, you know, what, what are you training in relation to that? Where are you putting them in your workout? And he totally got me changed back to um, putting the shoulders and chest muscles together and putting my rear delts first in my shoulder workout. And he's like, okay, I want you to do four sets of 25 with 30 seconds rest. And tell me how you feel after that work after that workout. And I'll tell you what, man, like I had never felt my rear delt so full of blood after that. And he, it was just a simple, you know, machine, uh, machine rear delt machine, rear fly. He's like, okay, so I want you to apply that same thinking, you know, when you're doing dumbbell uh, dumbbell raises or when you're doing, uh, you know, cable work on your rear delts. Like, you know, think of something a little bit outside of the box other than like a three sets of 12 or a four sets of 10 or whatever. He's like, you got to get to a place where you're, get, you're building up a lot of metabolic stress there. And he just, I just remember him telling me, like, he's like, I think the rear delts respond better to just this high intensity, crazy rep schemes, uh, very little rest. Uh, and just getting a monster pump in there. And I'll tell you what, like, you know, once I started doing that, I actually started to have a little bit of dimension to my side shots. Whereas before it was like, I turned to the side and it's like, where'd he go? <laughs> I think he's still up there, you know? Um, so like, just, you know, to bring it back, just thinking about different body parts and, and how to train them maybe a little differently than your other body parts. And, and maybe even with specific exercises even, you know? Um, I, we all know that you put a lot of emphasis in the hamstring curls to start off your leg days. You know, I think a lot of times, and I was never like this before, but a lot of times guys will just throw the hamstrings in at the end, four sets of 10, check off the box that they it's got an them done yeah. as an afterthought. And then wonder why when they get on stage and their side shots, you know, it just goes like that. It's not, you know, there's not a nice little drop to it. And, um, you know, we had a conversation about that too shortly after the, the dumbbell or, or the, uh, the rear delt exercise stuff. So he just, he got me thinking about how to train body parts a little differently and how to apply, you know, intensity to certain body parts a little differently than I had been before. And it all worked out positively. So that's my that's little cool. one thing I learned from him. Scott I could just, go on about, about 20 other things. But, I'm sure you, you know. could. Uh, Scott just sent us a picture of Doug Dale here doing some, looks like some shoulder presses here with John behind him. Yeah, it was a, uh, I was kind of looking, there's an article on T Nation that says, uh, the title of it is Mark Dugdale doubles training hungry for more. And it looks like it might, it's referring to uh, this program that John wrote up for him. And I was just kind of scrolling through. that was a cool picture. <laughs> Is the it's largely an ad for all their supplements they were selling at the time. Yeah. Yeah. The plas plasma jet or something like that. Wasn't there like plas yeah. plasma ball or <laughs> Yes, like like every every quote has plasma, you know, trademark plasma. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hyperlink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like yeah, yeah, it's full of all that, but um yeah, yeah maybe that was would have it in there. Yeah, yeah that, I mean that's the thing. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. Um, well, I was going to ask you about uh, this this workout structure summary, summary picture or screen capture that you sent to us. Uh, what 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 are we looking at here? This is what Andrew referred to. Um, this is this is the basic breakdown of how John would put together a workout. Actually. Yeah, this you see this in pretty much all the basic workouts. Every once in a while, there'll be uh, um, an exception from this, but this is how he had structured the workouts in terms of the exercises. They would fill these these uh, different called them different phases just to sort of keep it um, give give some nomenclature to it. But basically, the exercise of the four that you would do, 
this is how we would set up a basic mountain dog training plan. And uh, we did this. It was interesting. You know, we came up with, uh, I'm trying to think of John just said, we need to write something. We need to do something together. And, uh, and I, I had done fortitude training, I think at that time. And I said, John, well, look, what about like a way to get people, you know, to kind of follow your workout strategy and do things the way you've done them. And you know, of course the concern was that he would undercut the sales of his regular training plans. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. And it hasn't, of course, <laughs> people love getting exactly what, you know, John had done and, and knowing, you know, just being able to sort of go along the training plans with him. But, um, I feel like we lost Scott. Did he go someplace? He's vanished. Uh, he knew we can see you. He knew you were going to go on about something. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Um, well, I was wanting, there he is. He's back. I was wanting to answer his question. So, anyway, so this is the, this is the exercises, how we set this up. So, this pre pump or activation exercises would normally come first. This would be the example there is a prone ham curl. Um, so, that was like a standard. And the next one would be the explosive exercise. It's not, it's not a ballistic exercise. It's, it's exactly what we talked about on a podcast, Scott, uh, like a couple months ago about having sort of an explosive type of activation strategy. Yes. Psychologically, essentially, to get the weight moving, but don't just throw it around. So this is like your, you say big, your big exercise. Go ahead. Wouldn't you say it's like a compound exercise more often than not? Yeah, this is like your standard, like meat and potatoes, um, yep. you know, barbell press of some sort, for instance, or a squat or you know, basic yep. compound exercise, exactly. Um, and then the super maximal pump would be where you put in the intensification techniques. <laughs> you go, you go <laughs> to town doing the crazy stuff. Uh, and, then he, and then he recognized the value. And this is, you know, this is pretty cool because John was figuring this out before this literature was really available in the way that it is now. Like he's figuring this out 15, 20 years ago. Is that doing, and it makes sense if you're just trying to cover all your bases. You do things like, you know, train in a, a lower, a medium, and a higher rep range, and you train across the range of motion. And one of the things he, he recognized was really important, of course, was to train across that range of motion and to have an exercise that trains the muscle when it's in a stretch position, but loads it what loads it well. So full range of motion, but under tension. Hmm. But you got to do this. Is the, you know, I'm just reading across the row there at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But you got to do this in a safe manner, and that happens most safely when you're plenty warmed up. You're not trying to like do some you know crazy like deficit stiff legged deadlift as your first exercise out for sets of four, something like that. Right. Um, you're totally warmed up. You've got the pliability in place because you've warmed up the the tendons and the connective tissue, so it's going to stretch more easily. And but you're also loading in that stretch position, which literally. Um, has the the potential to change muscle to literally change the length of the fascicles and to produce muscle growth that's specific to the ends of the muscle. If you think about a fusiform muscle, people can't they can see my hands up up tall here. Fusiform <laughs> muscle, right? There we go. And at the ends, you know, like a biceps. So at the end, either end of the of the muscle, you've got tendon and tendon. And then at the ends, you've got the, the, the myotendinous junction there. And that's where you can actually see specific growth. If you measure the growth of a, 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 your basic fusiform muscle or any muscle, really, along its length, though that training or eccentrically, act, and eccentrically um, oriented training in particular, and I think loaded also will produce muscle growth that tends to be more specific to the ends of the muscle in that way. So... 
What that means is you're increasing, you know, muscle along its length with your standard training and also specifically sort of getting, getting the bits and pieces at the ends uh, in this way and making the muscle longer. If, if you make a muscle literally longer, the fascicles are now longer, um, you've increased the muscle mass. So it looks bigger when you, when you contract or let's say it's a biceps and you, you pose the biceps in a shortened position. You've got more muscle volume, which means the muscle's bigger. Yeah. So John, you know, intuited that and sensed that. It made sense to him, and he was seeing it in his physique and the people he's coaching, you know, way before the science was pointing that direction. So yeah, that's what that last backed phase up by the uh, what was the uh, the study with the birds? Um, they they hung oh, the weights the from the birds. Study. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think back to that study. I know Dante talked about you know John Perillo releasing and from you know making that study popularized for some of us meatheads that actually like to read the literature and. Uh, I think John probably got it. Got him, you know, after he was doing this for a few years himself, and intuitively uh, realizing what he was doing, read the research, was like, oh, cool, like I'm, I'm on the right path here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, that model. Like, people who are listening will be like, well, you know, that model is so different from what actual weight training is. It's a stretch over. Like, usually, standardly, they'll just hang the weight off the wing, and it's 24/7 for weeks on end. <clears throat> but you are the muscle is stretched. And it's growing. And that's the cool thing. Muscles will accommodate their resting length based on, you know, where they're sitting during the rest of the day or the length at which they're activated. And that's mm -hmm. what seems to be happening, especially during, like, the eccentric-based training, which is what you kind of have to do um, for a smart uh, exercise where you're loading the stretch position. You have to control the eccentric. You know, sometimes people will do like ballistic stiff-legged deficit deadlifts, you know, but that's the great, <laughs> exactly. It's like, hello, hamstring tear, like just give it to me. Right. Let's just pull them both at the same time. So you have to be very, very careful with the eccentrics when you're in that loaded position, plus you're training in that stretched position. That's the type of thing that's going to produce muscle growth at the ends of the muscle in the way that, the way that it's part of what goes on with that stretch overload. Hmm. Um, you're not going to, you, you, you literally are not going to get the same growth. In fact, you know, like the other way to look at it is if you put, look at a muscle that is, uh, basically deloaded and if you have it in a stretch position, you will lose very little muscle size. So I always give the example of, of, um, spinal cord injured people who have disuse atrophy because they can't activate the muscle. And a lot of times when they're sitting in their chair, they will plantar flex at the ankle and you see the calf muscles and basically all the muscles will atrophy in large part, but that stretched tibialis anterior doesn't really atrophy in size. It's about the same size as what you see in able-bodied persons who are walking around. Hmm. And, that's, and, that's, and that's because when you bring it back to a neutral position, you've now compressed the volume of the muscle and the cross-sectional area is about the same because it's used to being so stretched out. Hmm. So the, muscles, the muscle senses its length and adjust its volume and its spatial configurations and its structure to the length at which it's exposed to tension, the length that it's, it's used to seeing in you know, its day-to-day -day life, so to speak. Is so anyway, any, so Don, um, you know, figure that out. Is there any uh, metabolic stress uh, that accompanies like that in terms of, um, you know, buildup of different byproducts or anything that might also accentuate growth or might also, um, well, yeah, just, just lead to more growth? Or is it strictly just the stretch of the fascicles. Yeah, well, you go if you go above like 50 or 60% of an MVC, 
you're not going to get any blood flow able to come back out. You've just got too much pressure inside the muscle. So yeah. that's why, you know, continuous repetitions where you don't drop the weight, you know, you can tell. And that's why people yeah. like to pause. They get to the end of the metabolic stress is getting and the fatigue's coming on. So they, they want to stop. And you get you can get a good amount of recovery just from a two-second pause because you, you flush out some of those metabolites. Hmm. Um, yeah. It changes also the activation thresholds because you've got proprioceptors in the muscle that are picking up on the meta- metabolites that are feeding back to the nervous system, to the spinal cord, to, to inhibit further output because you've got this fatigue state. So you just if you take a break and you, you know, flush that through, you can get more reps. That's why people want to do that at the end of a set. Um, but if you're stretched on top of it to get to your, your question, then you've just simply got imagine the tension like you let's say you take a muscle and stretch it to its full maximal length. It's under tension already. Yeah, so okay. you've already got, you know, even with a, a lighter and I haven't seen the study directly, but even with a, a lower intensity contraction, because the muscle stretched out, you're gonna be able you're gonna you disallow blood flow in and out more so. So gotcha. You stay like you do like a continuous tension, like stiff legged deadlift, the example we've been using, where you don't come all the way up and stop at the top. You like keep a little tension, keep your hips, you know, keep your back, you know, twenty percent from being, you know, perpendicular. You've got tension the entire time, and especially because you're in that, you've got yeah, you're gonna have metabolic stress galore, which you feel in your hamstrings. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, like another example, an easy one is like biceps. Uh, if you're doing biceps, you know, where you're, let's say you're doing a standing curl and you come to the top of that standing curl, not only do you not have much tension because just the, the gravity and the torque produced about the elbow, there's nothing there. You can, you can hold the weight up, you know, up here as long as you want, but yeah. you take yourself and let's say sit back on an incline bench and let your elbows fall back and, and do a dumbbell where now you're stretched. The bicep is stretched at the shoulder. Exactly. And then you come up and now you've got tension at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, because unless you do do one of these, sorry, people can't really see me. But unless you do one of these numbers, so you've got your forearm perpendicular to the floor, you've got tension at the top, and now you've got this extra stretch at the bottom, and those are a whole other world to hurt if you haven't done yep. those before. Oh, um, yeah. And some of that's the metabolic stress. So gotcha. that's a stretch position. That would be like a biceps um, exercise, you know, in a stretch position. If you're looking at the the way John sequenced yep. things. I can yeah. tell you too that you know not even following like actual mountain dog training having learned the the workout structure that he does I still apply that like you know I've talked a lot Scott with you about doing push pull legs this last couple of years and my push pull mm-hmm. legs is still that first exercise my um and on say my my push day that first exercise is a pec deck or a fly and I'm using that to get the chest activated and to get it warmed up where then I'm going to move into that that heavy meat and potatoes movement, you know, that explosive exercise. And then from there, I'll go to if I do a third exercise, it would be a machine where now I'm moving into like super volumizing and pumping that muscle up. Um, I found that for me, I, I was thinking about this because I was like, you know what? I don't do the stretch at the end of my workouts it, 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 like the, a lot of ways that, that John would. But then I was thinking about it and I'll focus on the stretch during my workout so that might be one thing that's different but i've thought about like the way that i do my lat pull downs now it's like for me it's all about getting that entire full stretch and pulling from activating you know from that stretch would i still be getting the benefits 
of what we're talking about with stretching if I were to say incorporate that as part of my exercise? Yeah, he he put those at the end just for the kind of the penultimate safety margin. So yeah, I think I think so. It, it kind of like you know, it's it's it, there's magic in the order, which is why John kind of had the yeah. sequence of doing things. Yeah, well, well, plus so, the, the muscles so full of blood at that point too. The muscles, sure, right. Yeah, as full as full of blood yeah. as it's good, like. You walk into the gym, your muscle's not full of blood. As you do a few sets, yeah, blood's getting in there. But if you've gone through like let's say eight or ten sets, and then you're doing the stretch stuff, you got and especially right before that, you did, um, you know, the uh, one of the intensity techniques. Right. You're gonna have a lot of blood in there, and I feel like that just the stretch is so enhanced. And I was just gonna say, like, if I were to do something like that, I wouldn't actually go for the stretch on the pec deck. I would probably cut it just a little bit short because I'd be a little scared in my mind that doing a, a full stretch being that being colder I'll, I'll say colder not as full of blood um, right. I'm at more of a risk for injury at that point and that's why I think John layered the, the exercise in order that he did because when you're doing the stretch exercise you're so full of blood your body's as warm as it's going to be you're neurologically so in tune with what you're doing that the risk of injury is so much lighter yeah I totally and I totally agree that I think that that does make the most sense but then I was asking myself because I, I recognize that if I'm looking at this structure for me personally, I'd say, oh, I probably don't do a lot of stretching. But then I thought to myself, well, hey, on my lat pull down, you know, I make sure that stretch is a big part of that. So I guess my question was, you know, what would the value still be of that? Which I'm, I can see you can't really you can't really answer that question. But I'm sure there is some. You kind of yeah, working. you know, there's. So go ahead, Andrew. I just, I was just throw you, you can, you can measure it if it's working. Yeah, true. You know I mean? right. True. I mean, the, the simple test is I don't care what any science paper says. Like if you're doing an exercise or a particular routine, yeah. your back's getting bigger and your body's growing. I'm like, I don't care what the literature says, you know, I yeah. think you yeah. would probably agree. Right, Scott? I mean, as educated as yeah. you are and as in tune with the studies, if something's working and we can't necessarily explain it, it doesn't negate the fact that it's working. Yeah, that's, that's the bottom line. The thing is, and that's what I found too, is that with the technique yeah. that I'm talking about, it's it's better. It's like this is getting me more and getting people I work with more than when we don't do it. Yeah, if that's the like, if you're fairly certain that you've icing uh -oh. to whatever new growth, then absolutely, that's all that matters. Really, it doesn't. You know, if you could have a million one papers that say you know it shouldn't work, and if it does, and so so what? Like that's. Love a placebo. Give me that placebo effect. I'll take it, baby. If it's working for me, it's yeah. working. Yeah. As an example, the only thing I was going to say is the well, a couple things about having a stretch-oriented exercise earlier in your workout is is that um, you know if you've totally stretched out, you you may there and this is like totally like you know nitpicky, I think, but you may dampen a stretch reflex, which mm. can be important if you're doing heavy loading stuff later on. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, and there and there's something too if you're doing heavy stuff, where there is not that you want to rely upon this, but you want to you want to have you don't want to have uh, stretched out any elasticity that could be helpful in lifting big weights mm. um, down the road. So imagine like um, uh, Im imagine this, and I know you're not doing this, Scott, but just sort of for the sake of a thought experiment. And we know this actually, you know, from the science that if you stretch aggressively before trying to do maximal performance types of things in the gym, that you do inhibit impaired performance. So a lot of heavy stretching, you know, before a workout will will cut your reps down. 
and will impair your performance, especially if you're trying to do plyometric types of things. He's missing me again. I, He's doing this shit on purpose, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I played play college football, and they, they were, were you know, pretty, pretty in tune with research and whatnot, and especially what you're talking about with the stretching. And all of our warm-ups, and we spent 25, 30 minutes before we actually did our first you know, activity football-related, it was dynamic calisthenics or dynamic stretching. It wasn't any of this stretch out and try to elongate the muscle as long as you can and hold it for 45 seconds. It was more this dynamic, right. you know, high, uh, you know, high knees, high legs, you know, high, uh, leg kicks, that kind of stuff. And then some light stretching before we actually engaged in the actual football related activity. And I always thought about that, that, you know, this is going back 20 something years. Like these coaches were in tune with the research that was coming out back then and, and applying it the right way as we now know. Yeah. I mean, it's just even if they weren't thinking of it, you know, in terms of myotetic stretch reflexes or any of that kind of stuff, it's like, like a long, slow, deep stretch is a different mentality, you know, than what you want to have when you're about to go and do like, you know, power cleans for doubles and triples, that kind of shit. You know, it's a very different thing. You know, it's interesting though because, you know, in DC training, Dante, who's obviously very revered, like he does extreme stretches, like that's part of his system. Yeah, and John was basically kind of doing the same thing along the lines of what you're talking about, Scott, in having an exercise or at least sort of making sure there's somewhere in your routine where your focus load, which is what a DC stretch is. And Dante put that at the end, obviously, because you know if you tried to do that beforehand, well, it'd be dangerous, you know, to do that early on. But you do that at the end when you've got this nice pump going, and then you're done, and that's it. You know, that's the last thing. So. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what would happen, you know, or how you would like it if you just started putting those exercises where you, you find that the stretch feels like it's just something, it's a good thing to do, like in the a lat pull down or wherever else you're doing that, and just start, you know, intent, intuitively or in, in, intentionally mm-hmm. putting those at the end of your workout. Yeah, um, it, yeah. for me, it, it just, it, it became an evolution, and I have done the loading stretching, you know, at the end when, when he would want it to be done. In fact, I think... A lot of times, if I think of one of the back things we did when I trained with Shelby Starnes for about five years, we did, um, we and we followed John's plans for about four of those years, I would say that every time that we trained back, we did a dumbbell pullover that was focused on the stretch. Like sometimes we would do other things, but that was like, that was the big one. That was the real big stretch usually. And that was always after everything else, after all the, you know, after all the quote unquote hard work, you know, I think John, John would layer that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so I think John sent those like during that time he would train and then he'd just send what he had done to Shelby. Like he, he did. Was, yeah. Yeah. He made it. Yeah. That was a very special effort to send Shelby those workouts like individually. Yeah. He, he would. Year. Yeah. He, he wrote up his whole workout plan and he'd say, Hey, and then I did this, you know, and right out there. And then what Shelby would do is just literally print it off and then we take yeah. him to the gym and then uh, he'd have his notes on what we were going to do next. So you did mountain dog training for years, Scott. Right? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. absolutely I did. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying I didn't, sure. but I my my introduction was different because my okay. introduction was off the message boards and then me interpreting that. So I didn't mean to say, yeah, like I then then so you're my saying, initial Yes. You're saying you owe, you're saying you owe John some money is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> lots of right. money, lots of money. 
Yeah. 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 I learned off the message boards and then I, but then I, I interpreted it for myself, did it on my own. And then when Shelby and I connected, then I got really plugged in from there. Right. You were going to say something, I think before Andrew, I I cut you off. Um, (laughs) Oh, I started to, we we started talking about stretching. And um, so I started thinking, you know, like the, the, the deep, you know, elongating stretches static stretches i think also there has to do with your neurological systems between parasympathetic and and sympathetic you know like mm. i think do there's a lot of research that shows or some research that shows that the like yo, things like yoga or you know uh classes or, or activities in particular that do elongate the muscles slowly and more of a static position um increase your parasympathetic stimulation and lower your sympathetic so my point was mm. is that you, you probably wouldn't want to do the long, static, slow hold stretching when you're trying to engage your sympathetic to be able to lift the heavy-ass weight and hit a new PR yeah. on something. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, this is not to say that that last exercise was a breeze. It wasn't like no. it wasn't like saying, okay, like get, in, get in your down dog, you know, and stretch your low back or whatever. Right. Um, he was doing – those are very much still aggressive, but he, he put those oh, – yeah. he sequenced those very, very intentionally. So the other thing I was going to say was about um, Scott had mentioned uh, how John always, I think, usually in the 1.0 programs would put would program the dumbbell pullover type exercises last. I do notice that he did start to kind of tailor that in usually sometimes into the second or third exercise. Oh, yeah. The first couple back exercises were very arm dominant. Like so if you if you did two uh, rows back to back, he would write in there. OK, let's give your arms a little bit of a break now. and Let's stretch it out now. Huh. And then. And then the fourth exercise would be something else, but um, so you know, there it's kind of like shoots and ladders or whatever, you know, or like one of those books where, you know, do you want this to happen? Go to page seventy six, or if you want this to happen, go back to page thirty four. Yeah, and like so, you can kind of pick your own journey a little bit. I feel like he did that a little bit with training and tried stuff out and saw what worked, and then passed it on to people because I think we all know that maybe what you've been doing for the last six months might not be what. Will, will be advantageous to you for the next six months. So true. The overall basic, yeah, the overall basic plan probably, but you might need to go a little bit of a di- different direction, whether it's swapping an exercise in or out or changing um, changing the technique that you're using on an exercise. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, if someone is very explosive with their dumbbell pressing, I got a kid who, I, I tell him this every week because he always sends me videos and he's getting strong, you know, 140, 150 pounds, and he's like this, but his chest isn't growing. And I'm like, guy, listen, I'm really proud of you for your strength, but I always look at it as, okay, what are you not doing or what can we do that's almost the complete opposite of how you're performing the technique huh. and see what we can get out of that. So I'm like, I want you to come down and I want you to really arch your chest and like really stretch out for a full two seconds before you drive up. I go, yes, you're going to cut your weight by like 40% on your top sets. That's great. That's fine. Like great. we're going to accept that. But what we're looking for is the stimulation and activation, and it's going to be a complete different stimulation and activation than what you've been doing to yourself uh, previously. You got all the explosive strength in the world. Let's change this up. Yeah. Yeah, Let's apply that somewhere different. Yeah. The thing that like a lot of this has got me thinking about that, that was so cool about the way John, and it's like, this is the talk about a, a big wise message is that, he wasn't ever afraid to change his thinking about things oh, and, yeah. and evolve his thinking over over the course of an off season or of several months or um, over the course of years. Yeah, you know things had to be different when you're in your 40s versus in your 20s. Um, I remember John like in the last year or so. I think he posted some old footage of him squatting 
like like it was it wasn't yeah like you, you saw that where he was like he was big he was really big yeah. I don't know what he what he was squatting like five eighty five for sets of twelve it, no, no 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 it was like seven twenty for like nine holy okay. shit what, good what, god was it a video was it a video that he filmed on the TV I that might have been it, it yeah it was, yeah oh I remember yeah. seeing and that it, yeah 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 and they were like well, what's seven plates six eighty five is that right maybe it was six eighty five or something like that yeah. six yeah, Six, yeah, something, something like that. Because he had like seven plates and I think a twenty-five on each side, and he just right. he put off like eight of them like butter. Like every <laughs> yeah. eighth rep looked like the first rep. That that to me is like true strength. When your eighth rep looks the same as your first one with that kind of weight, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And he racked the bar knowing that that ninth rep was the form was going to fall apart. That's just like yeah. complete intuition, being locked in with how your body's reacting to the weight, and knowing you know where where the edge is. And, and where you're going to fall off and die and, and where you can stop and be like, okay, I did some work and stay safe and do it again next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was strong as shit, but you know, he, he, he wasn't, yeah, but he didn't, he, he didn't try to keep doing that and keep destroying himself, yeah. you know, with exercise that didn't work. That's what know? I mean too. By when we talk about the creativity, when I, when I was saying like he was creative in the gym, he's not afraid to, to change things as they needed to be changed. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just everything. I think it's also, well, I was going to say, I think it's also understanding that the only, uh, that increasing weight is not the only driver of muscle growth. Yes. Yeah. Putting more, putting more weight on the bar is not the one and only way. It's a great way to do it, especially early on when you're in your twenties and your thirties up to a certain point. But like we all probably have bad backs and, you know, squatting is probably done a little less often now and only when the stars align <laughs> we've done a special dance and we've said our prayers and right. we've got a 12 you know eight hour night sleep and all our meals perfectly uh you know what i mean like it's like yeah. for me to like put a bar on my back now it's, it's a big difference than when i was like 18 to 25 or i could just walk in there and start off and not even warmed up four, yeah one place, two <laughs> plates, three plates, four <laughs> plates i'm good you know yeah you know, it'd be fun to go, and you have access to all these, Andrew, is to go look at, like, the first three or four John's programs and then compare them to, you know, the last three or four that he put out and see good, the, what's different. That would be cool. Be a good little um, training segment for us to do for the website to just both yeah. look at them and then have a, have a discussion about it. The evolution of mountain dog training would be, yeah, pretty cool. Um, that would be. Yeah, he like someone posted. I think it was on the mountain dog training. Maybe it was in. I can't remember which group it was, but he had a. I forgot to say like a twenty-eight day program, like train every day for like thirty days straight. Something yeah, like it was called. Uh, shit, was it? There will be blood or something like that. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. So and, and and then he had one like when people were first doing uh, blood flow restriction, where that was getting big. He had one where there's a shitload of blood flow restriction in there, just to see, you know. Yeah. So he yeah. was like, that's 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 what's so fun about this. It's that mindset of like, I'm gonna just go explore what I'm capable of, and I'm gonna go just try some shit that I've never tried before. Yeah. You know, not be totally asinine about it, but you know, just be willing to explore and you know step away from. Like, I have to squat, I have to bench, or what have you, and recognize. Like, John didn't, like, deadlifts, he did them early on, but deadlifts weren't, you know, a go to for him. Man, um, and that was something. That. Yeah, I couldn't do them either. And training, like I said, with, with Shelby, we didn't do deadlifts for years. Like, it became a thing later, but my lower back got so strong because we were doing hyper extensions every week. And it mm-hmm. almost worked as a therapy for me. 
So that mm-hmm. having not tried to do deadlifts, but doing you know all the barbell rows and the meadows rows, things where you are bent over, and then coupling that with some sort of a nasty hyperextension at the vi- that was always the last exercise was a, some sort of nasty hyperextension with some sort of yeah. crazy drop set on the end. Uh, my lower back actually got really really strong from that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and the pumps were crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For better or worse, in like yeah, he would even write in the programs like, okay, it, it, it put the hyperextension, whatever type of you know, do one fifty rep set or do you know three twenty rep banded set, mm-hmm. whatever, something like that. But he'd say on it like, if there was like more arm work to follow, like or arms or abs, he'd yeah. say like, okay, you might want to go do the biceps work first and then come back to this, ah. and then do the ab exercise last because to pull the blood from your lower back into your abdominals and, and relieve some of that pump that you got. So there's yeah. again, just like more intuition about, you know, what he was thinking and passing that on to someone else versus just writing the program out and sending it like do this in this order. Like it was really, you might want to do this. And I paid attention to those. You might want us. <laughs> yeah. How many people have you heard from who, who got calf growth from doing anterior tib work? Oh, Andrew, everybody. Yeah. And so right. my my training my training partner who just competed in a local show recently, he had been you know maybe calves was kind of the afterthought maybe once maybe twice a week but three sets of ten three sets of twelve and I was having him do we were doing calves four days a week um, once you know started off two days then three days then four as he built his recovery up and we were doing the tib work every single time and he was like dude I think my calves have grown more than anything in this whole program he's like I've never seen my calves look like this yeah and, you know mm-hmm. calves are kind of an afterthought on stage now but I think some of yeah. us are like really enthusiasts for those types of things me personally I tore my left one so I got oh, one kidding. good one on my right and my left one just looks kind of like eh. but yeah just take the right one out then yeah. I, I always show my right one when that one's like, oh, let me see your calves. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, like, right. I'm like, you want to see my calf? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say I would love to see – it would be a really interesting study. Um, and I think John kind of pinned this back to a blood flow availability issue as far as when you're doing anterior tib and calves – as if you know you're creating a sort of a blood flow restriction type of effect or a blood flow limitation effect to some degree there's maybe something neurological going on there it's just a fascinating thing that would work but it'd be interesting to see just in a research study uh you know what happens if you compare just training the plantar flexors versus training the plantar flexors where you're taking those rest periods and 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 putting in anterior tib work in in, in between um just to you know, just to see if there's if there's because it's never been studied before that I know of in that yeah. way, and there's so many research models, um, you know, where we see, of course, all sorts of variation across the subject pool of amount of growth that they get, and the studies are you know we just do the knee extensions. It's just knee extensions like unilateral knee extensions, or you know that's a great model, but it's not necessarily exactly what's what might be happening if you're also training the the, the hamstrings or yeah. the full leg yeah. is you know what's going on there is there is that a factor the, that the that somehow to some degree you know it could be anything from something that's going on during the training stimulus to like what's going on in terms of use of that muscle i've seen studies where uh they've found that there's been atrophy, like you train the biceps and there's been atrophy in the triceps in the arm they got really? trained. No kidding. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, and it's sort of like okay, we just gloss over that. You know, we're not we're not gonna you know we're not gonna pay attention to that. So so you know that old training model, and they and the it happens on one side but not the other. And why is that? So huh. you know if you're if you got people that you're training, let's say in the study I talked about several times, like two or three times on one leg per week and five times a week on the other leg, and you're seeing differences in muscle size there, is 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 something going on. Um, you know, with whether or not the hamstrings are being trained too, are they yeah. just staying off that leg that's really sore? And would that differ depending on whether the hamstrings and the full leg had been trained in terms of your activity during the rest of the week? Yeah, if you're just limping around and favoring that leg. That that is the the baseline underlying activity, which can also impact muscle size and huh. add to or, yeah. or detract from the overall you know environment for maintaining or growing new muscle. Um, that is interesting. So it's just, yeah, so there's like all sorts of little things that run through my head. It'd be just interesting to just like do a study, like train one leg, plantar flexors only, you know, regular calf presses, and then the other one do this, match the work, and just add anterior tib work, you know, and EDL work, et cetera, all the, all the dorsiflexors, yeah. and see if it has any impact, you know. I'm, I'm way more uh, of a simple thinker than you, Scott. I just look <laughs> at, okay, who, who has good calves, and typically like fat people, larger people, have, yeah. bigger, have better calves because they're just automobile. You know, they, they're carrying a lot more of a load than we mm-hmm. are. I, I always had fat, fat people and soccer players, you know, because yeah. they're doing so much of that plantar flexion, um, you know, with all the intricate movement they're doing with their feet, with the ball. Um, so that, so when training your calves three, four, even five times a week, that has made a lot of sense to me. Uh, that's just my layman's simple, you know, dumbed down. Why train your calves more often and why train your tib as well? Yeah. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I, you, I, we're not gonna. I don't want to spiral. But I got so many thoughts that are coming to my head as, uh, with calves because calves are so interesting and unique in terms yeah. of what their function is and like who has the most functional calves. Well, it's it's you might say sprinters who don't have very big calves in general. Hmm. Yeah. That's like speaking, or, you know, or, or maybe even maybe even ballet, um, ballet performers. When they're on their yeah. toes the whole time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They've and they've got a control. unique, unique um, loading history from ballet. So, yeah, yeah there's a what, whole one lot of my training partners. He's got calves twice the size of mine, and he trains them a total of zero times a year. Yes. I'm not even kidding. Like, as do I. I mean, these things are right. It's amazing. It's crazy because I'm like, oh, you're gonna train calves with us? He's like, Pfft. and he just walks out. He's right. like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, my my like natural inclination is to go on my toes too. So if we were to run, like if we were to sprint, I get up on my toes when I'm in a sprint and I sprint from the toe. I don't even like my heels hardly even touch the ground when I run if I run real fast. In fact, they don't. Yeah. In order for me to like jog on the treadmill, I have to remember heel toe, heel toe. Otherwise, it's just boom 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 like like a gazelle. <laughs> and it feels, it feels normal. You don't get any calf, you know. Oh no, no, no. They get they like yeah. They get they get pumped. And yeah. uh, if I were to take something, if I were to hold a lot of water, like a D ball uh-huh. cycle, oh man, they get wicked pumped. Like, but they right. But that's that's just the way that my body wants to wants to move. Hey, listen. Before we were to wrap this thing up, I did want to mention too that um, uh, Andrew, you are still Manning the mountain dog uh website along with yep. chris and scott's been a part of that and that you guys are still continuing to create content and uh 
And it looks like there's some stuff to come. Like Scott, you mentioned that you know there's a potential idea for the a, a hardcover of the Brutality of Mountain Dog Training. I'd love to see something like that come together, and I'd love to see more content. You know, it's one of those things where John had so much to share, and I know he didn't get it all out there. Uh, there there's a lot more that I think that that he would love for us to be able to learn from. Yeah, we're. Um you know, me and Chris and um, RJ, who's the webmaster, we're primarily doing all this stuff, but we got great contributors like Scott's doing a lot of stuff for us. He just put out a great article for us that I think people are going to eat right up. That's cool. Um, we're actually, yeah, we're expanding on some things. Um, we're still releasing programs because he had a lot of stuff in the works that he never released. Right. Uh, so, you know, it'd be great if people could continue, you know, following on his social. Mary's going to be posting some of the stuff through his social media. Um, and then I'll be reposting it, obviously. And, and I'm sure Scott will and Chris will, but yeah, we're, I mean, he just had such an impact on us and had so much, so many great lessons that he taught us that it, it would be doing a disservice to the industry to not try to keep everything he taught us alive and to keep that information going forward, or at least the way of thinking that he thought. Of yeah. Things. yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. You know, what's, what's kind of cool too, like this is um little teaser is that L-carnitine you know, talk that we had that, you know, that, uh, you know, people were like, what the hell's going on with this? Mm-hmm. And that was a topic that, that John and I played around with. And like, we, we had a, uh, I've heard from many people long before recently that John and I talked, we had did a Q and a up at, um, at Swiss up in Canada, Toronto, Ken Kanakins thing. And we, like somehow we got on the L carnitine thing and many people heard that and they saw the talk and carnitine got out there. I, I had the sense from John using it and, and us talking about it. Yeah, and um, so one of the things I think we're going to do because it makes sense is do a recap. Okay, and fill in some of the like here on the Muscle Minds podcast. We'll do that, Scott. Like we talked about answering some of the questions. I love that, that. people had from YouTube, but and then also do a full blown article. There, <laughs> there it is. El Carnitine, right here. <laughs> there it is. Yep. Um, but uh, and I dug in on that, and I found some interesting stuff. I found some case studies, stuff from the '60s. Okay, and um, yeah, there's some. There's actually some concrete data. Uh, that we can point to, to that will help people realize that I wasn't just like pulling shit out of my ass. There's actually some yeah yeah some effects there that are just make, worth worth noting. So we're gonna I'm gonna publish put that together. It takes a while. It takes you take twenty or thirty hours to write one of those articles, but I'll get it all together. If, if you've ever gotten an article here. from Scott, there's like. 30 references like he references yes. everything like like i'm trying to get better at referencing articles i write and i look at scott's work just to like okay reference this amount of stuff like the, you know what i mean just yeah, yeah. to really make it as professional as possible that's cool yeah that's cool. it's just accountability it's like you know you say something it's like how do you know that it's like well I, unless you came up with it you know unless like so you had like lightning strike you that gave you the novel thought that no one's ever had then chances <laughs> are you know it came from someone else yeah, this is obvious. It's basically, it's 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 obvious, you know. And there's no one who'd question, you know. Today the sky is blue. No one's gonna say, "Oh, he made that shit up." There's never never been a blue sky before. Then you don't have to reference that. And otherwise, pretty much everything else, you know, it's probably there's something to substantiate it, um, which brought that information to your attention. So that's the rule of thumb I use. It's pain in the ass sometimes. It's like, oh, Jesus, I'm sure. Harmony, but that's a lot of yeah. work, man. But you find out so much shit that way, you know. That's why. Uh- um, you know, John, I had fun. Yeah. John used to like another story from training one that popped in my head, just kind of wrapping some of the stuff back around to John. We were, he was telling me we went to train, we trained at that gym that you were talking about the life, lifetime fitness, I think it was. And we were walking out and he was telling me about Mark, 
actually, because this is when he was working with him. And, uh, and he was saying, you know, Mark sits in a sauna every, like every day he uses the sauna. And he's like, yeah, and, and John started doing that about that time too. And he's like, he's like, what do you know about saunas, man? Like, you know, what's the deal with sauna? I'm like, we don't know that much about sauna. Literally, this was like a 15 second conversation when we were walking to his car. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you think? What do you say we do an article about saunas? So did an article on sauna. And there's an article on sauna that's up on the, on the site that was like, and you didn't know Jack Diddley about saunas, you know? Yeah, but dug in and found out a bunch of really cool shit about you know how saunas actually are worthwhile, and now you know Rhonda Patrick's talked about them. That's what I was going to say. Proteins, yeah. all this kind of stuff. You know, it's come out, but this was before really that was mainstream information. Well, yeah. All right, yeah, guys. Well, so. listen. If uh, if you want to check out more of the stuff we're talking about, is it Mountain Dog Diet dot com? Of course, go to uh, Bodyberry dot com. You can reach out to Andrew there. You can go to byobbcoach.com or you can go to Amazon to find being your own bodybuilding coach from Scott Stevenson. FortitudeTraining.net. I didn't mention our sponsor at the beginning, truenutrition.com, who's always been a friend of John Meadows and of Granite. Uh, use our code THINK for some additional savings. And guys, we, uh, we appreciate all the support with our programming. Uh, I know that a lot of our listeners have been uh, as big of a fan of John as all of us are. Uh, we couldn't say it all in one show. I, I feel like every podcast we've done, he's kind of been there. Whenever we talk about training, he's always there to an extent, and and that's not going to end now. So although we can't say it all today, I'm glad, I'm glad that we could take a moment, and I'm grateful I could spend some time with you guys, two people, that uh, that cared about John very much, and that we could uh, we could share in this. This was fun. Thank you. Absolutely, man. absolutely. Right. We appreciate you guys watching. Appreciate your comments. We'll see you guys.